Greetings and welcome to the Take One Security Podcast. My name is Daniel Meisler and this podcast is me reading and commenting on InfoSec headlines all in one take. There will be no preparation, no editing, very little post-production. Goal is to simply give people a way to audibly consume security news with a bit of analysis in less than 15 minutes. Today is March 3rd, 2015, and let's get started. So there's a new SSL attack called Freak. Um, It basically has to do with RSA uh, falling back to a deprecated and weak uh, encryption strength. The uh, solution is basically to patch. You have to patch both client if you're using a vulnerable browser and, of course, OpenSSL as well. Uh, A number of orgs will probably want to note which um, servers actually have vulnerable versions to try and figure out if any data could have been compromised. Um, although Jared my Grossman had a great point on Twitter a few minutes ago, basically saying, uh, is there any evidence that this is any SSL attack has been used uh, not by a nation state or a major corporation? In other words, is this really a uh, sort of a practical attack? I think it's an interesting question. Although I think um, the Anthem thing could have been leaked or linked to uh, the Heartbleed stuff, but I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not sure if that was followed up on. Interesting stuff though. Um, The thing about this is that this this insecurity was built into SSL um, as a security feature. And I guess that's the one takeaway is, you know, don't add insecurity in order to gain security. Um, And in formula form, that might look like backdoor times time equals regret. So doesn't seem to make any sense. And hopefully we'll learn from this mistake, although I doubt it. So next story, uh, using Ruby's open URI could be dangerous. Uh, Basically, the open URI uh, option uses monkey uh, monkey patches inside of uh, kernel.open. So you're basically doing a kernel patch when when you use this uh, functionality in Ruby. You basically are opening params, passing a URL, and you can actually open things like um, pipe ls and actually run system commands. So um, there's some discussion about how it's somewhat safe to do this and the alternative is not much better, um, but definitely something to, to understand if you're if you're parsing in content from unknown locations. And, you know, one way to think about that is, oh, you mean I need to do input validation? Well, I thought I already knew that, but I don't think many people know that you can pass system commands into OpenURI and have them execute and return results. So if you're parsing or consuming some list of uh, URIs or URLs from um, from some location and you could have malicious content in there, you need to be careful if you're passing it to OpenURI. Uh, Hillary Clinton used a personal email address and did not store correspondence on government servers for her entire four years as Secretary of Defense. Um, this is pretty scary. 
uh, first of all, you're putting the data at risk by having it in, in some random personal system. And second, it seems pretty obvious that you're trying to hide your conversations. I, I don't know how this is even legal or how you just file for an exception for that. Um, seems highly suspect to me and it's uh, quite interesting that it happened. Seems like this is the type of thing you would specifically try to avoid if you're trying to put on some sort of air of transparency. That was that was something that Obama talked about is transparency. How do you hire a Secretary of State and not require that her email is visible to citizens? Uh, pretty interesting. So uh, Facebook can access your account without your password. This is uh, good to know. Um, evidently, any Facebook employee can pivot over and be inside of your account and. I don't know if that's an exaggeration or if there's some sort of filter that needs to be in place. I imagine after all the press they've re received, there's probably some sort of filter in place now. But um, a little bit interesting to see that that was possible. So Google no longer encrypting uh, Lollipop by default. It was basically one of the main selling points for the new version of Android. And now it seems to have basically gone away. Uh, they said it was a driver issue. Basically, they can't quite pull it off yet, uh, which kind of makes sense. Doesn't sound malicious or anything, but uh, unfortunate that this was going to be a major feature that uh, is no longer there. So D-Link routers have a, a remote command injection bug that could allow for DNS hijacking, other attacks. I'm not sure if this is uh, cross-site scripting or CSERF. I didn't look into it, but imagine it's one of those two. Um, and the key thing is it's being done over the internet and uh, basically compromising a lot of different uh, systems. Uh, seems like there are quite a few of these actually out there right now. Routers uh, getting owned from uh, a distance uh, kind of plays into the whole IoT thing. Uh, what happens when you're exposing lots of the same type of system to the internet? Um, basically, you just need something like Shodan or scan.io or or a sonar from Rapid7 basically defined um, one instance, uh, one vulnerability, and then looking for the whole internet to see who's running that same vulnerable version. And now you have, you know, a mass compromise. And it's only going to get worse when, you know, trees and baby clothes and uh, soccer balls are all online, right? That's going to be a, a bigger problem. So uh, ISIS has threatened some members of the Twitter team for disabling their accounts. I believe they went after an executive and a couple staff members. Um, really highlights the whole concept of like OPSEC and personal privacy and what you expose online. Uh, you know, these people might have had public uh, sort of personas and maybe they talked about where they lived and stuff like that and didn't care about it. But now suddenly they're disabling ISIS accounts and ISIS are able to just kind of know their whereabouts, uh, know who they're married to and frightening stuff. Um, I think on a personal level, uh, I'm a strong proponent of the belief that the way to avoid attack is to avoid being a target, right? If you're not angering, if you're not, you know, kicking the, the, the hornet's nest or whatever, um, 
you're not a target, that is the way to avoid being attacked. And you can be basically as public as you want. And the worst you're going to get if you're running an average blog is, you know, uh, people on 4chan uh, talking shit and, and being rude and stuff like that. But it's not going to devolve into actual safety issues. But the moment you start, you're in a field where you expose yourself to some kind of major scrutiny like that. Like, um, I've got friends who do threat intelligence um, in InfoSec and basically track down and sick the authorities on really rich and powerful and uh, dangerous people. They are very careful about their online persona and how much information they give. And it's really interesting that you could transition from one to the other very quickly. So I, for example, talk a lot about what I do and what I think, and I've got a pretty extensive about page. I mean, if someone wanted to learn about me, they wouldn't have to, they would just read my webpage, right? But it hasn't been a problem for the last, whatever, 15 years that I've been doing this because I'm not making enemies. But what happens when I suddenly decide to? Um, You know, that P is suddenly, it's that P is in the pool and you can't really extract it. Kind of need a new swimming pool at that point. And I imagine that's pretty easy to switch and transition into a different sort of mode of behavior um, by moving and maybe putting out false information. Um, I have a friend who's big into open source intelligence. And his big thing is putting out, uh, you know, the... uh, F-14 fighter flares, right? You got a missile locked onto you, you shoot those flares out and they're hotter than the engine or whatever. And the missile attacks that. So he's always dropping like check-ins into places where he's not and stuff like that to sort of throw people off the scent. I think he's a bit overly obsessed about it, but it is a good concept that I would definitely consider using if if, uh, I did become a target. Um, but interesting, sort of the trade-off between being public and becoming a target and how you'd have to adjust your behavior. Um, there's been a major uh, sort of rash of fraud around people connecting stolen credit cards to Apple Pay. A lot of people have jumped on this and said, ha-ha, you know, Apple Pay, turns out it's not as secure as people thought. Um, in actuality, it's quite the opposite. Um, no one has hacked Apple Pay or even attacked it, what they're doing is they're attacking credit cards and then signing them up to Apple Pay. So you you still have the same exact problem that, that's been there, which is fraudulent activation of credit cards. And that's a bank problem, not an Apple problem. Um, but it's still interesting and it's still something that the banks need to figure out. Um, up to 18.8 non-Anthem customers exposed um, in the Anthem breach. So this is in addition to the 80 million actual Anthem customers that were exposed. Turns out some of that data included, I think it was like Blue Cross or Blue Shield or something like that. I don't remember the exact company, but um, up to around 20 million uh, additional accounts could have uh, been affected by that. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, GoPro uh, had a vulnerability on its website that exposed Wi-Fi passwords of customers. So um, 
Wi-Fi passwords, basically, that were of their internal uh, wireless networks. Excuse me, I have a sinus infection. Uber took over five months to issue a breach notification. So there was a breach of a, a database that basically had driver names and uh, driver's license numbers. I believe it was driver's license numbers. They said license numbers. I assume that's what it is. And they just now disclosed it like five months later. So this is sort of adding to the negative press that Uber's had for a while around uh, treatment of customers, treatment of drivers, um, and sort of executive behavior. So hopefully they'll get that cleaned up. And uh, the Seagate NAS um, had a major vulnerability allowing remote access uh, with root privileges. Um, it sort of touches on the previous topic, which is, uh, you know, internet-based large-scale attacks against devices that, that are online. But it also raises the topic I blogged about, I think, last week with switching over storage to the cloud. Um, these NAS vulnerabilities uh, seem pretty nasty. And it seems like there's been quite a few of them. Um, and I'm getting to the point where I just prefer to find a cloud provider and do a constant backup to the cloud. Um, I, I've got a blog post about it. I don't remember the URL or anything, but last week I did a sort of detailed analysis of what are the advantages of having your data local versus having it in the cloud? And obviously, or my argument is that it's more psychological why you don't want to go to the cloud with your personal data and that the risks to your data are much larger. Um, trying to keep it and manage it online uh, internally uh, on a NAS. So some of the things I talked about were um, basically having to manage the disks that you use, making sure your uh, backups on your laptops or your desktops or whatever you're using. Uh, when you get a new one, are you pointing it to the NAS? Did the NAS run out of space? Are you using encryption? All of these sorts of things. Then you have theft. Someone breaks into the house, they steal your NAS and your computer because they don't know the difference or whatever, and uh, steal everything or a fire or a flood or whatever. You could sort of lose everything. Um, but what's actually much more likely is you simply stop backing up. Either you forget about it or you lose interest and just stop and you're like, I'm going to back it up later. I'm going to back it up later. And the main risk with backups and personal data is not that someone's going to steal your data. Some super hacker is not going to parachute in or um, waste a zero day on breaking into your house and stealing your, your cat pictures. That, that's not going to happen. What's more likely to happen is you'll get a picture or a video of your daughter at a lake catching a fish that is just the most amazing thing ever. And you will fail to back it up and you will have a hard drive crash and you will lose this memory forever because you were worried about hackers hacking your cloud backup storage solution. So my argument is that the avoiding of the cloud as a storage mechanism is emotional and psychological and not as real and present and practical as 
failing to do a backup solution on site or on prem effectively. So I'm, I'm pretty much advocating uh, switching to the cloud for backups. So that's it for this episode. Hope it's been worth your time. You can find these headlines as well as more InfoSec, philosophy, and politics content at danielmiesler.com.